Hello, and welcome to today's Four Ps podcast. You know, a lot of inventions and even businesses are created because someone is experiencing a level of discomfort. And being uncomfortable is sometimes one of the greatest motivators ever. And today we are going to talk to two individuals who were uncomfortable in various uh, ways, and they went and became business people and actually are improving the lives of many, many people around them. We'll be right back after this. Do you have the next big thing? That world-changing whatchamacallit? Do you have a story to tell? You need a show-stopping web presence. You need the web spinners at Webinit. With big picture solutions, spinning together SEO, stellar web design, blogging, podcasts, and social media integrations, you'll find yourself developing your latest and greatest thing, idea, or telling that next chapter in your story. Look us up today at webinit.com. And remember, you're not everywhere unless you're Webinit. Welcome back. And I'm going to start today's episode with a story, and the story is kind of tragic. Back in the early 80s, a woman by the name of Candace Leitner lost her daughter to a hit and run accident in Fair Oaks, California. Now, she lost her young teenage daughter to uh, this individual who was drunk. Candace obviously went through a great deal of pain, losing a child. Uh, especially losing them tragically like that when you're not prepared to lose a child is is it, it's it's beyond. I mean, it's it's horrible. And Candace, through her pain and through her, and and I'm going to use the word today, discomfort. She actually said she really wanted to help others and help them in making sure that they don't have to live through the same pain that she lived through. And as a result of that, she founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and it is a still in existence to, today, to in this to this day. And this is a great it's a great organization, and it helps people. Number one, it helps it make it creates awareness to make sure that we reduce the number of DUIs and OWIs and all the other eyes that are going on when it comes to drunk driving. And also, number two, it, it provides a support network for those who have been victims of drunk drivers, either in the situation where they were in an accident or where they unfortunately lived the same experience as Candace. And it is a fantastic organization. It is throughout the, I think it's throughout the world now. And she did this because she was uncomfortable. Another person in a different way and in much, you know, much different way uh, is J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling was living on public assistance. She was literally living hand to mouth for a long period of time. And out of her discomfort, she uh, wrote a franchise, an entire, she was the author of an entire franchise that has movies, books, and on Halloween, it's the only Halloween costume you can buy all of a sudden. Uh, but she's done this because she was uncomfortable. She was tired of living the way she was living before, and she wanted to move on, and she wanted to to do better. And as a result of her not wanting to be uncomfortable, she has provided, matter of fact, she, I mean, people love to read now. There are a lot of young kids who never liked to read before, love to read now because of Miss Rowling. And that was a fantastic um, adventure that she went into. And, and trust me, she is uh, no longer, at least financially, she's no longer uncomfortable. And that leads us to today's first guest. And this is an individual who was experiencing a lot of discomfort. And in her discomfort, she was trying to find a way to help herself and be um, 
a little bit more productive and a little bit more, you know, the, the, what she was doing was very therapeutic. Her name is Angela Barron and Angela Barron is now an author and she is also a illustrator of children's books. And she has literally contributed to the reading and to the knowledge and to the entertainment of many, many children across this nation. We'll be back right after this and we will be talking to Angela. Do you have the next big thing? That world-changing whatchamacallit? Do you have a story to tell? You need a show-stopping web presence. You need the web spinners at Webinit. With big picture solutions, spinning together SEO, stellar web design, blogging, podcasts, and social media integrations, you'll find yourself developing your latest and greatest thing, idea, or telling that next chapter in your story. Look us up today at webinit.com. And remember, you're not everywhere unless you're Webinit. And we're back. We're back with Angela Barron, but uh, readers know her as A.T. Barron. Angela, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me as your guest, Trunus. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Now, I'm going to say to my audience in full disclosure, I have known this individual longer than I've known people who are in my family. We went to elementary school together. We went to middle school together. We went to high school together, and then we grew up and uh, moved on. But I have known her for quite a long time. When I knew her back in the day, her name was Angela Leone. And then she went on to become uh, Angela Barron. And then she became a great author. And now she is A.T. Barron. Angela, or A.T., however you want to <laughs> be called today, uh, welcome to the program again. Um, what I, I want you to... to um, I briefly talked about how you uh, turned a very dark time in your life into a moment where you are now helping so many people and entertaining so many young people. Um, can you please tell us a little bit about that period of your time of your life and how you got to where you are today? Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little bit. Of a a pre-game show on this one because a lot happened in my life to get to that point that I had issues that I ended up turning things around. So um, when, when I was little, I did not like reading. That was the last thing you could get me to do. I was too wild and crazy to sit still to do things like that. I wanted to play outside or if, if I did sit still, it was usually either because I was drawing or painting. And that pretty much continued on through most of my childhood, through high school. Um, I, I do remember my, my first field trip to the Clarence Library uh, in kindergarten. The first book I ever took out was Harold and the Purple Crayon by Crockett Johnson. And that's to this day my favorite book because I want a crayon like that. And um, I, I did recognize the power of children's books, but I never really got into them. And my parents urged me to get a degree in science. So I went down to Texas A&M at Galveston to study marine biology. I ended up switching over to zoology, um, got my degree. And even though I did take a children's literature class as an elective, but I still didn't get into writing at that time, mainly because with my degrees, I was, I was up to my eyeballs in science books. So the last thing I wanted to do was read more for pleasure. So I shelved the idea of reading for a while. But again, the, the creative spirit continued. 
and it kept driving me. Uh, I didn't really get into reading until I had my own kids. And if, if anybody out there is a parent, you'll know that kids can drive you absolutely batty, but not just having kids, that the whole hormonal thing that goes with it. So I went through a postpartum depression with both of my kids' births. And it was it was troubling because I, I'm a bit of a control freak, but not crazy control. And the doctors kept telling me like, well, what are your major issues? And I said, I can't sleep. And if you can't sleep and you got a family to run and take care of, you are useless during the day. Mm -hmm. So they said, well, here's the suggestion. If you can't sleep, what's keeping you up? Because we don't know if we want to give you medication for it. And I said, well, I just can't get my head cleared. I have so much going on upstairs that I, every time I close my eyes, it's just gears turning. So I said, well, before you go to bed each night, write down what you're thinking. I thought, well, that's simple. I could totally do that. This is, this is manageable. So each night I would sit down in bed and I had a journal beside my bed that I would write whatever was in my head. Sometimes it was just things I thought about that day, grocery lists, you know, making sure I remembered to go and put things down as far as like doctor's appointments or who I had to contact the next day. And then other things like phrases I had heard or really good words or little story ideas that had been squirreled away up there for a little while, those started pouring out onto the pages. And, you know, the next morning I'd get up and look at it and be like, okay, I, I need to take these bits of information so I can take care of them today. But the other stuff kind of stayed in the book mm -hmm. until I started really digesting what I wrote. And that was kind of how I came about the idea for my first book, The Bamboo Bear, which was this little panda, you know, waking up in the forest and she's now starting to learn who she is and how she's different from the world around her. So I wrote the story and then I thought, well, I just, you know, this is a really good idea. This could be something that the, the kids would enjoy. My kids liked the story. I thought maybe I could publish it. And I knew nothing about publishing, not a darn thing. But uh, I, I got the, the words written. I thought he needs pictures. I was going to have someone illustrate it for me and then kind of slap myself in the forehead because I can draw myself. So I did the illustrations and I really liked the way it turned out. So I went with publishing it on my own and used, you know, Amazon's the beginning works of what they have now for Kindle to, to create it. And then that led to the next story, which was also one of the ideas that I just percolated out one night, um, which was slowly but surely for the sloth. And it just kind of took off from there. So every time I I feel angsty and I need a release, I just start writing. And that gives me some of that freedom because now my head's not all bogged down with all these ideas. It's now on paper or it's on my computer <laughs> or in some cases on my, my office windows because I'll use a dry eraser marker to write my ideas there too. So it's nice to have that release of information and, and then put it to good use. So not everything I think is just useless, rather. <laughs> it's got some purpose to it. So not only are you an author, you're also a businesswoman. Yes. And yes. you are an illustrator. Um, um, do you, you obviously do illustrate for other, other authors. Is that correct? Yes, I've done some illustration for um, some other authors. Sandy Barton came out with a book back in 2015, I believe it is, called The mm -hmm. Tree, and it's a Christmas story that uh, she wanted me to help her with. And I'm also currently working on some illustrations for 
the National Science Teachers Association's Science and Children's Journal in the poetry column. Um, they wanted some illustrations to complement the poems that they have every two months. So I do those. And then I also enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy actually creating some pen and ink illustrations for the New York State DEC, the Department of Environmental Conservation. They have habitat access stamps that they sell to raise funds to better the areas in New York State, the natural areas for the wildlife. So each year they pick uh, a specific native animal to New York. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll have a, a post on Facebook or Instagram and allow the public to choose like one of four. Mm -hmm. And once they get that animal, there's usually um, a, a group of people who will send in illustrations and the one that they like best to represent that animal ends up on their stamp for that year. So I've had a couple of my illustrations chosen for that. And that one's been fun because, you know, you're just, you're given an animal. You're like, I got to draw this and I got to draw it quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it also helps with our natural environments in the state, which I, I do like because I'm a nature lover. So, and then there's my otter illustrations at my shop that I draw. So what I find amazing is that you took something that, number one, it's funny how you started out the story, and I did not know this, that you did not like reading as a kid. And now you are helping people, you know, uh, and you're, like I said, kids, kids love books. They bring, my my grandson brings home a book almost every single day. Uh, and it's it's great. He, he loves to read. Um, I think he's more like you a little bit where he loves to read as long as the book is very, very, uh, interesting to him. If not, it's like, I don't know how to read it. He's like, well, he's at that age now. Right. But, um, but he does Honestly, love, I'm still like that. <laughs> I'm like that too. When it's, uh, when it deals with any kind of, any kind of document where I have to pay money, I don't know how to read that. <laughs> That's the first thing I'm going to say. At least I try to say that it doesn't work very much. But, um, now as far as you're, you are doing something where you are passionate, you are doing something that you absolutely enjoy. You, you enjoy putting together the stories. I'm going to take it. You also enjoy illustrating. Um, is it hard for you? And this is, and this is probably a very easy question to answer. Is it hard for you to get up and go to work every day? Well, since I work out of my home, I don't have to travel very far. So that's a bonus. Right. Um, my commute is really easy. The hard part's getting the coffee. Absolutely. Um, but they, you, just as the saying goes, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So mm -hmm. I really don't think of it as work per se. Um, I will say that a lot, if not most authors, and I'll probably even go with illustrators, don't just do writing and illustrating. They usually have another job, the paying gig, because mm -hmm. it's great to be creative, but it doesn't pay the bills. So you kind of this is a, a a work of love kind of thing and you you put your time in and you do enjoy it but publishing takes a long time it's not a get rich quick scheme in any way mm -hmm. so i mean and especially with children's books because there's the whole illustration aspect to it but um even with it working at a turtle's pace if you have patience you can get through it and you know for me coming up with the ideas is super easy i have no problem with that 
So, you know, getting up in the morning, come downstairs. I, I have, you know, usually a couple of ideas I'm working on currently and then some on the back shelf that I just kind of keep at hand um, and, and, and just sit down and go. Putting those ideas into action is probably the hardest part because I need to do research on whether or not I'm going to be doing an illustration or a story. Is it going to be something that's going to sell? And is it going to be something not just to sell now, but maybe two, three years down the line, because that's how long sometimes the publishing of a book can take. So you got to forecast as far as you can. Wow. Um, and and the, the writing, I do enjoy. I like, I like, I'm not a wordsmith, but I would like to think that I was a wordsmith. And I know I said that Harold and the Purple Crayon is my favorite book, but honestly, I'm going to I'm going to really say the thesaurus is my favorite book, because when I can't I'll come up with a word and I know there's a better one. And so I'll just start thumbing through the thesaurus to see what word really captures what I'm trying to say. Um, I like to draw with words as much as I like to draw with my paints or my pens and pencils and um, writing, writing can be difficult. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's a 32 page picture book or a hundred thousand word YA fictional fantasy, you know, it's, it's going to take time. Um, and the, there's the editing and the critiquing and the polishing and the querying. Oh my God, I hate querying. Um, but you know, as much of a challenge as it is, that's exactly what I think of it as opposed to work. Okay. And I, I like a challenge. I, I believe that through adversity, we grow and I'm growing so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And my final question, and this is a question that I'm sure uh, a lot of people want to know. Uh, do you have anything in the works that uh, we should keep an eye out for? Anything coming down the pipeline? Ooh, um, well, let's see here. I, I've got my hands in so many cookie jars right now. It's ridiculous. So um, I'm obviously I've, I've got my illustrations. If you're into the illustration part, if you love otters, go to otterthings.com and you can get some stuff there. All the otter inspired wares. Um, I'm, I'm again doing those illustrations for the Science and Children's Journal. That's a fabulous magazine. You can read them on their website as well. My wildlife and my illustrations that I do. I'm working specifically on two young adult books. One. If I'm lucky, I can get an agent to see it. So if there's an agent out there listening, please get in touch with me. Um, but if not, I'm going to work on self-publishing it. And that's um, it's Emerson's Guide to Playing with Sand. It kind of blends the themes of the show The Good Place and Layover Land by Gabby Noon. It's sort of, what's the best way of explaining it? Uh, contemporary supernatural romance, basically a coming of age after death story. So um you know, a quick pitch, uh, 27-year-old Emerson lived with leukemia most of her life. When she dies, she ends up in an afterlife corporation with a job under God as a human resource agent shepherding souls. And now she has to learn to let go of life, prevent a hostile takeover by Lucifer, and navigate her feelings for her mentor if she wants their souls to go to heaven. So um we're we're mainly working on that one while i'm still editing another one so should be should be interesting that actually sounds like it would be not only a good book but actually a very good movie i think i would be really wrapped up into something like that that is a great story and um <clears throat> i really want to know how that goes so absolutely need to know how that goes at thank you so much for being on the program 
for my audience, I will have the links to uh, Miss Barron's website. Thank you very much. See, I'm getting older, uh, much older than you. Uh, but we will have a link to, to AT's uh, website and you will have a list of books and projects that she has going on and visit it, look at it. And don't forget to stay tuned for her future uh, projects. And we will be right back after this. Do you have the next big thing? That world-changing whatchamacallit? Do you have a story to tell? You need a show-stopping web presence. You need the web spinners at Webinit. With big picture solutions, spinning together SEO, stellar web design, blogging, podcasts, and social media integrations, you'll find yourself developing your latest and greatest thing, idea, or telling that next chapter in your story. Look us up today at webinit.com. And remember, you're not everywhere unless you're Webinit. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the interview with AT or Angela Barron. It is uh, fantastic to hear a story of how somebody took a situation such as postpartum depression and literally turned it into a work of art. And that work of art is actually entertaining and helping improve the knowledge of many children throughout the country. Our next guest is an individual who, you know, when people go to war, um, you know, the, the battle still goes on. Uh, there are a lot of people from Vietnam. The Vietnam War officially ended for the United States in 1975. But here we are in 2023, and there are a lot of people still fighting that battle. Uh, the Iraq War and the Af Afghan War ended. You can, it's various dates, but there are still a lot of individuals who are still fighting that war. And the individual that we're going to talk to after the break is an individual who is still fighting the battle. Uh, he was a helicopter uh, leader and, and, and pilot in Iraq. And he came back uh, with still a lot of the battle um, that still was left to fight. And he has come back and not only did he want to fight that, not only is he fighting that battle, he also wanted to do what he did back then, that he wanted to be a leader and he wanted to help those that were subordinate to him uh, fight the battle as well. And now he is helping his brothers and sisters here in the United States fight the battle. We're going to come back with Anthony Garcia right after this. Do you have the next big thing? That world-changing whatchamacallit? Do you have a story to tell? You need a show-stopping web presence. You need the web spinners at Webinit. With big picture solutions, spinning together SEO, stellar web design, blogging, podcasts, and social media integrations, you'll find yourself developing your latest and greatest thing, idea, or telling that next chapter in your story. Look us up today at webinit.com. And remember, you're not everywhere unless you're Webinit. And we're back. Uh, like I said, you know, this, this episode deals with people who have become entrepreneurs and they become entrepreneurs because of something that happens. And my guest right now is an Iraq war vet. Um, he has a strong story to tell. Um, he, his name is Anthony Garcia. He's with Pure Post, which is a company. Uh, Anthony, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. And I want to, first of all, I want to start off by thanking you for your service. Thank you for your service in Iraq. 
you have a very special job. And, and it's funny that you kind of told me a little bit of the backstory before we started interviewing. Um, it is kind of funny because a lot of people join the military and they always talk about the, 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 the ways they get into the military. But yours was really funny. You are a hel- you were uh, in helicopters. You were a helicopter. Uh, you were a leader of helicopters. Uh, tell us how you got into that job in the United States Army. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll give the short story. I got picked up uh, to be a Medical Service Corps officer um, around October or November of 1999. I was going to, or correction, 1998. I was going to graduate in May. So at that point, I thought I was going to be a medic platoon leader. I was really fired up about doing that job. Um, a week before I graduated, fast forward to May, we're on a PT run. Uh, and one of my cadre, uh, Captain Siemens, was basically like, hey, you know, you can be a, a dust off aviator. You, you got picked up to be medical service corps. Have you ever thought about flying helicopters? And, you know, this is at, you know, 630 in the morning. And I'm like, no, I never thought about that. And he talked to me about it for the majority of the run. And after the run, I went back to my dorm uh, where my best friend, Carl, who's a retired uh, Lieutenant Colonel Military Intelligence Officer, he was actually on the plans team that caught Saddam. Um, I started talking to him about it. I mean, it's like 21-year-old 20, young dudes uh, started drinking some beers. Uh, it turned into a really good idea uh, to apply to flight school, primarily because of the flight suit. I was like, oh, I'll wear a flight suit. Maybe that'll help me uh, with uh, with the ladies. Maybe it'll make me uh, uh, more attract. I'll be more, you know, attra- attractive to them, which was kind of uh, kind of a jokey thought. But uh, that was pretty much it. <laughs> you know, and so I, I, after that, I went down to ROTC and filled out an application. You know, the first thing, and I'm going to say, as a, I was a Navy recruiter, and the first thing we would do at MEPS is we would give you an alcohol test to make sure that every decision that you are making at this time, you're doing with a clear mind. Clearly, um, uh, your story, uh, we did not uh, do the proper uh, testing. Yeah, yeah, it was, was not a clear mind at all. But that's okay. But hey, um, you have a very interesting career in the United States Army. Um, tell us about uh, some of the, I know that you were in Iraq. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, so I was... Um... I ended up going to flight school in um, 1999 after officer basic course with medical service corps. And um, that was really uh, the first time that I'd ever been in a helicopter. Uh, And honestly, it was kind of a unique experience because the little known fact is if you get picked up medical service corps and you go to flight school, if you get a C, you're going to still be a dust off aviator. So it's like the the academics aren't as critical for people that are slotted medical service corps, which was good for me because I've never really been good at school. Um, so flight school was tough. Um, it was a challenge. Um, school has always been a challenge for me. Uh, but I was excited to do the mission and excited to get to the mission. Once I got to my first assignment in Korea, um, I decided to stay for two years off the bat because I knew that after 12 months, I'd get an opportunity to uh, to shoot for pilot in command, uh, which is, you know, being in charge of the helicopter. I had a mentor tell me a long time ago that that's probably the best thing you could do is do two, two tours to Korea because they're going to definitely put you up for pilot in command at the end of your 12 months. Once you're pilot in command, you're generally pilot in command your entire career. 
And so uh, I made pilot in command after uh, I think 15 months in Korea. Uh, ended up going to Iraq um, in uh, May of 2003, pretty much directly from Korea. Um, when I was over there, we were doing the regular medevac mission of picking up uh, soldiers in training as well as uh, any civilians in Korea. Now I'm transitioning to combat and you know, you're picking up the wounded off the battlefield. 2003 uh, is where I, when I showed up to Blot, Iraq, May of 2003. Um, finished out that tour, which was uh, extremely tough. Uh, you know, I had no idea that I'd be burning shit uh, in combat one day. And that's what we were doing when we showed up to Balad uh, in 2003. We were a medevac company with a mechanized infantry company and a MP, MP platoon. Those were the only units on Blood Air Base, as it yeah. is commonly known. Um, ended up doing that tour. Came back in 2000 in uh, December 2004. So I had eight months off, uh, 11 months, eight months, then back. And that experience was, uh, was probably one of the most exhilarating, horrific experiences of my life, primarily because the, the op tempo was was so high, which is always a rush for any medevac crew member. But um, when you're doing the mission and after you land, you're like, what were we doing? That was insane. Um, and then 24 hours later, you're just fiending for another mission. Right. Um, we were typically on duty for 72 hours. Then we'd have 24 hours off, maybe 48 hours, and then back on duty for 72 hours, which means that when you come on duty, um, you're second in the hole, which means, hey, if a medevac mission comes and the primary crew on duty takes it, then you're next in line. And if that crew is not out flying, you're doing uh, urgent medical transfers. Um, the next 24 hours, then you're first in line to go out on a, on a mission. And you could be woken up at three in the morning or three in the afternoon um, at, in the evening, we could be off the ground in about five minutes under night vision goggles and everything was flown NVG. And then during the day, we could all be off the ground in about three minutes. Um, all that to say, we ended up medically evacuating over 6,400 patients in 11 months. And we flew over 4,500 combat missions. To date, post-Vietnam, that was the biggest workload that any medevac has ever taken on. Wow. Uh, my platoon was the biggest flight platoon post-Vietnam. I had 21 helicopters. I had 90 personnel, combination of flight engineers, uh, medics, and aviators. And, uh, yeah, we did the mission uh, 24 by 7 for those 11 months. And fortunately, I'm able to talk about it. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean just transitioning from uh, combat. It's the journey along the way of dealing right. with everything that comes from that experience. But yeah, as, as I told you uh, previously, I mean, it was the greatest job that I ever had, the greatest, greatest job I ever will have aside from being a, a father. Wow. Now this, it, it um, your, your job was extremely important. Um, your job was also very stressful uh, and it led to, you know, um, <clears throat> other issues. Um, excuse me. Um, you do say, um, you said you, you, you know, dealing with this, how, how, how are you dealing with it? Yeah. So, um, I guess to get to the heart of it, 
Um, you know, I'm 100% disabled. Uh, my PTSD is maxed out. Um, I take my Prozac every day, 20 milligrams of Prozac. I talk to a psychologist, a VA psychologist every two weeks for an hour. Um, so that's that's more of the, the medical stuff that I'm doing. Uh, aside from just taking care of myself aside, uh, without that, um, you know, over the years, I've just learned how to detect those yellow and red flags and know how to react to them before it gets too severe. Um, you know, I was telling you earlier about a, a month ago, I woke up and it was just a really bad day on a, on a Monday and um, I felt like disappearing. Um, and But I also knew that, um, hey, it's going to get better tomorrow and it'll be better the day after tomorrow. And that was something that I couldn't see when I was actually fighting to I guess for my life when I was at business school, um, I didn't understand how to find those signals and, and, and take care of myself. But now I got to be extremely vigilant. Uh, my partner, Angie, um, she's intimately familiar with everything that's wrong with me when it comes to that whole PTSD situation. So that's so beneficial to be with somebody who, who understands, um, kind of what's in your head on a daily basis. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's just one of, it's one of those things that I just got to stay on and be vi vigilant about. And, you know, I used to look at my medication and my treatment as a crutch, but now I look at, at look at it as a performance enhancer. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a better person when I talk to my psychologist, when I take my Prozac. Um, I used to see that as like a weakness, but now I'm like, no, that's going to make me better. I, I, I need, I need to do that because I'm a better person both professionally and personally. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, I left Iraq November 16th, 2005. And it still is fresh on the mind. Um, those thoughts. Now, a lot of people who suffer from what you suffer from, they, and I, I don't mean to say this in, in a bad way, they, they, for whatever reason, it, it kind of, um, it does slow them down. It slows them down in life. You, on the other hand, you took this, this situation, you took the PTSD, you took all of this, and you wanted to take your situation to enhance the lives of others that are suffering the same, uh, and I don't want to call it a malady, it's the same, you know, they're suffering the same uh, state that you are, same situation you are. You went out, you became an entrepreneur. Tell us about what you do. Yeah, so I, I ended up going to business school after I got out of the Army, which was um, was another, like, uh, kind of happy accident. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do all the way up until I left. I was given a full-time offer between my first and second year to do merger and acquisition work at United Technologies. That didn't excite me. Uh, working at a mammoth company didn't excite me. I thought what uh, they were doing was great and uh, their business is uh, providing a great value uh, you know to the nation uh, but it wasn't for me i wanted to find something else and uh, fast forward to march of 2009 right before graduation i was sitting in on class and i heard this professional who was a, a social worker explained that they made the transition to being an entrepreneur. And as he was talking, I was like, man, I can do all that stuff. It sounded a lot like the stuff that I was doing in the army. A uh, big misconception about the military is nobody ever tells you how to do your job. 
they give you a mission and then you got to execute. Nobody right. babysits you. It's the same way in all the services. And um, that's a little known fact that the private sector doesn't have on, on, on service members. You give us a task, we're going to figure out how to either go around, go over or go through whatever that obstacle is. And we'll do it in a, uh, an honest and a, uh, a, a good method. Uh, we're generally speaking, it's always going to be done above board when we accomplish that mission. And so, um, I was like, Hey, let me, let me look at that. Maybe there's something that I can do to help veterans and their families. I didn't know what I was going to do at the time. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do something. So I ended up taking a job at a startup in uh, Ithaca, New York, just to understand how the whole startup thing operates. And after about five months of that, I decided, okay, well, if I really want to do this, I'm going to move back to San Antonio. I got to sell my home. I'm going to have an estate sale. I just bought a Toyota Yaris, not the sexiest car, but something that was affordable and that could get me from point A to point B. I packed that thing up in San Antonio, put a roof rack on it and just head out west, young man. I just drove to California and had two friends that I was going to bounce around between until I either found a business to start or either found an opportunity. And so I think by having that military experience and quite honestly going to combat and realizing that you can live off very little, it made it very easy for me to downsize and get rid of all those material things that are great things to have, but quite honestly would hold me down because if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to probably start off as a poor entrepreneur right. and you'll probably stay a poor entrepreneur for very long until you're able to either turn the double play with your business or either potentially find something else to do. Because as we all know, uh, failure is extremely high in this field. Um, I started my first business in 2011, which was focused on helping military families buy and sell their personal goods. Uh, the biggest mistake that I made in that endeavor mm -hmm. was coming out with an iOS app right away in 2011. iOS apps were still new. The iPhone was still new. And we decided that we were going to build a native mobile app. Um, in hindsight, we would have built that as a web application, which would have saved us probably $100,000. And maybe the business would have survived, but it ended up failing. And at that period of time, the venture capital community didn't understand how valuable the military demographic is as opposed to having disposable income. What I often tell people is if you know that you're selling to a veteran, you want to sell to that veteran because they have disposable income and likely they're going to be a, a returning buyer if they see value in you and your product. Um, we often hear that active service members are, uh, you know, protected by recessions and all that other stuff. That is all true to somewhat of a degree. Now the venture capital community has caught on to that and they now see that, Hey, there's a lot of money that can be made by serving veterans. Right. We ended up putting that business down in around two, two, 2015. And then we started another business, which was a precursor to what pure post is today. That business failed. Um, what I learned in that experience was, uh, to be absolutely sure that your investor knows what you're building before you take their money. And it wasn't that I was dishonest. It wasn't that I was hiding something. It was just there was a disconnect. And we weren't ready to go to market as quickly as our investor thought we were. Uh, we ultimately ended up going out of business because I laid off a professional after raising a round of funding. Typically, you raise money. You need to make your team stronger. Um, and... It didn't work out 
uh, the way that I wanted to when we departed our ways. And uh, it cost the business a lot of money and uh, which ended up in my board losing faith in me as a entrepreneur and leader. The most devastating <laughs> private sector professional experience I ever had made me question a lot about who I was. This is 2017. And then we started Pure Post and at the end of 2017. And it's a whole different story now. Um, for those that don't know what Pure Post does, we're able to build a professional profile which articulates your skills and competencies from your military experience. You walk away with a Cornell MBA resume immediately. You walk away with knowledge of every skill, uh, key actions that would have been applied to those skills. You're, you're able to receive job matches based off your experience uh, rather than the particular job that you did. Um, and then in turn for employers, we're able to educate them on what the veteran brings to the table, to the bottom line. And um, I'm happy to say that it's, this business is now uh, turning out to be a success after, I don't know, roughly 14 years of doing this. Um, kind of getting back to my background, I think what's kept me at this is that military experience of having that grit under my nails that's allowed me to just put my head down and keep driving forward. I mean, this isn't going to kill me. Uh, so that's that's pretty beneficial uh, when it comes to uh, my background. Um However, uh, it, it's extremely difficult. And um, honestly, as I look at where look at where I am today, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. But I, I can honestly tell you that I'm not sure if I would do it again, <laughs> uh, you know, because it's 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 hard and it's ugly. You're constantly making sausage as an entrepreneur. But um, that passion from that experience is what has been driving both me and my father. My father is a formal behavioral scientist in the United States Army. He is he developed the technology based off his military experience and his private sector experience. And he's also been driven on the fact of that experience that his son had. Um, in 2008, I was suicidal for the majority of that year. And so we've always had that in the back of our mind. If we can help a veteran get a job that's preventing them from slipping backwards, having purpose when you come out, making money when you come out of the military is, is essentially that tourniquet to help you to continue to care for yourself after service because you don't need to experience combat to have this type of trauma. Right. This time is extremely difficult. The training that people do on ships, on aircraft, out in the field is extremely dangerous. We're all affected when we make the transition and we all have this baggage that we have to learn to um, – honestly turn it into a weapon for good in the private sector well i'll tell you anthony uh first of all thank you for your service and and i'm speaking for all veterans to say thank you for providing i mean that's one of the hardest things i know we have uh those 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 classes that we take and they, they used to call them taps when i was there i don't know what they call them now i know they call them something different but when we got out to say this is how you fill out a resume this is how you do that you spend all these years in the military even if you just spend four years in the military when you get out, they give you a one week class. If that, I think it's like a four day class. And they say, okay, now you are ready to be a civilian. That is not the truth. And, and that is where a lot of the depression and stress and added uh, uh, anxiety comes is when they go out and they do that. And to have a, 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 um, a, a service out there and have a business out there like yours that can literally you know help someone at least navigate and, and turn their 
experience, their military experience, which is very valuable uh, in the civilian sector, into real, understandable, comprehensive civilian terminology uh, is, a, is a wonderful thing. And for your father and for you both to, first of all, you have a firsthand knowledge of the of the um, behavioral aspect and of the of the the mental anguish that it comes from, and then your dad uh, with his with his uh, 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 therapeutic I don't know or uh, behavioral science. Thank you, behavioral science uh, aspect. I think that that is 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 a, a wonderful thing to have to help because you are two people who truly understand uh, what a veteran uh, nowadays nowadays needs. Um, Anthony, thank you for being on the show for our audience, especially for our veterans or for family members who uh, really want to reach out to um, their sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, uh, cousins, uh, moms, dads who are getting out of the service. The uh, Pure Post website address will be in the podcast notes. You can click on it, get a lot more information. Anthony, again, uh, I I am um, honored for you to be on the show today, and not only am I honored, uh, I am honored that you know um, you know I'm honored to say that we served together at the same time. We did not know each other, uh, but we both wore the cloth of the nation. And also, I will humbly say, uh, in the recent events of the Army beating the Navy, you guys got us this year. But don't worry, we're going to get you soon. <laughs> I, I say we're going to get you soon. I'm not going to say we're going to get you next year. We're going to get you soon. You know that. We're going to win one day again. But yes, thank you so much for everything. And um, we'll be right back after this. Do you have the next big thing? That world-changing whatchamacallit? Do you have a story to tell? You need a show-stopping web presence. You need the web spinners at Webinit. With big picture solutions, spinning together SEO, stellar web design, blogging, podcasts, and social media integrations, you'll find yourself developing your latest and greatest thing, idea, or telling that next chapter in your story. Look us up today at webinit.com. And remember, you're not everywhere unless you're Webinit. Welcome back. I will say that uh, the interview we had just now with Anthony uh, was powerful indeed. It's touching to know that there are people out there that even though we are no longer reading about battles or, or, or things like that in war, that there are people going to bed at night. There are people who have defended our freedom uh, and who continue to defend our freedom who are actually going to sleep or staying up or whatever, uh, and they are still fighting battles. And these battles are, are difficult. And sometimes uh, during these battles where, you know, in, in, in actual physical battles, there are always ground, air, um, and, and sea support. Sometimes there is none of that to be seen, or at least they feel that there's none of that to be seen. I really do appreciate what Anthony and his father is doing to help veterans uh, cope with civilian world and also cope with um becoming uh, civilian employees once again, and helping in civilian employers uh, link up with these individuals who are very motivated, very dedicated, and really want to get back to, you know, just get back to, to, to life in general, get back to regular life and, and be contributors um, without wearing a uniform, be contributors uh, in the civilian world as much as they can. And I really do think uh, Anthony and his father for their service. And I thank them for their continued service and not only helping the veterans, but helping uh, industry as a whole. 
We will be back again next week. Uh, we have a lot of great guests, one of which uh, is my cousin. Uh, he is an author as well, and I cannot wait to have him on the program. And another uh, is a story of fantastic, I mean, just it's 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 just it's it's an enlightening story of an of 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 straight up redemption and a matter of fact that's what it is it's just redemption um all the way through and when you hear this story i'm not going to tell you the name of the guest i might tell you a little bit later on but uh it is very inspiring and i am very very humbled and privileged to have him as a guest uh, on our show next week we will see you next week goodbye